God bless you and welcome to Walk in Truth Christian Fellowship Church broadcast. We appreciate and welcome all of you, our listeners around the world. Stay tuned to hear an exciting word from pastor teacher, Dr. James Sutton. So then you're going to give in a few minutes, a few seconds, you're going to get to come back and see who gives me the answer. Okay. The, the Psalms that we're in, Psalm 6 through 41, is Christ in our midst. Christ in our midst. Psalm 6 through 41 is Christ in our midst. If you, th if you think about what we've been reading, We've been talking about Christ, God, in our midst. Uh, other than Sister Stacy, uh, Venus is on the line, Sister Venus, um, my Sister Nancy. I'm going to open it up. The first one, get it, get 10 bonus points. I'm going to ask a question. Here we go. Since I just said the Psalm 6 through 41 is Christ in the midst, give me one word. That means that. Anybody. Anybody. Available. Eh. Omnipresent. Eh. Christ. Nope, one right. word that means Christ in our midst. Omnipresent doesn't mean Christ in our midst. Okay. Eh. Anybody else? Think about what I just said. I, I, I could phrase it another way that you get it right off the bat, but I'm I, this Christ in our mix. Among us. With eh, us. Eh. Okay, let me do it like this. It's a name. Emmanuel. Thank you. Ding, 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 ding. Emmanuel. <laughs> it's either Christ, you can say God with us or Christ with us. Christ and I miss mm -hmm. these sermon, these these psalms. If you go back and look at them, it talks about God being with us. From Psalm six to Psalm forty one, it talks about the God being with us. All right, you can mute your phones now, Jackie. You got ten bonus points. Amen. All right, let's look at Psalms. Go ahead, and mute your phone, uh, Sister Stacy. Read Psalms. Uh, 24, starting at verse 1 through its entirety. Psalms 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill? Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob 
Selah. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Amen. So now, so in the first six verses, we discussed, well, I preached it on Sunday. In the first six verses, we talk about God's possession, which is the earth. Every inch of the earth, everything in the sky, his creation from day one to day seven belongs to the Lord. The, the chair you sit in actually belongs to the Lord. Nothing belongs to man. And and our understanding of that helps us in our relationship with God. That helps us be detached to the to the healthy level from this world. You know, the American way is it's mine. It belongs to me. But. Even though you're in America, culturally, we understand what you mean by that. But in actuality, uh, it belongs to the Lord. Everything belongs to the Lord. Nothing belongs to you. You are stewards. Uh, mute your phones, please. You are stewards. Somebody's phone's not muted because I hear movement. You are stewards. You are stewards to what God has given you. You will not take it with you. We say it glibly when people, we say we can't take it with you. Uh, we see the story of the rich man who built bigger barns, who the Lord required his soul the next day. We have to have a healthy relationship to the terra forma, the earth and the things of the earth. We have to have this relationship that we are willing and able to let go because it doesn't belong to us. When we, when we worship our possessions, when we worship our possessions, then we begin to uh, follow things, follow things that we shouldn't, such as our cars, our houses, our jobs, all of that. Anything that the earth possesses belongs to the Lord. You know, and I can't overemphasize that because we have people being preached to that act as if the stuff that we get belong to us and not belong to the ultimately to the Lord. We always say anything that's going to last lasts forever because it belongs to the Lord. Anything that we do good, we do for the Lord's sake. We don't do it for our own selfish sake. But in America, we've become too possessive of the stuff that one is perishing and two doesn't belong to us actually. So, so in these first six verses, in verse 1, we have the claim of the Lord to his own world. That's David acknowledging it. Then it says in verse in verse uh in verse 2 for he has founded it upon the sea. So it gives us again him finding it upon the seas and, and everything. And then it says, "Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord?" So now David is asking the question who is worthy to go up to the hill of the Lord? Now, when I preached, I talk about the uphill battle. So who is worthy? No one. But who was worthy? Jesus. Jesus was our forerunner to go up the hill before us and pave the path through his death, burial, and resurrection. Now we're in a position where when we come to Christ, we're at the foot of the cross. 
like I said Sunday, everybody starts at the bottom. Nobody starts in the middle. So on the earth, we start at the bottom and begin our ascent. Okay, now think about this. When we get saved, we begin our ascent, our journey upward, our journey towards Christ. Those who are not saved are not on that journey. They're going to die. But they are not ascending to death to be with the Lord. They're ascending to death to be judged by the Lord. Our ascension is different. On, on our ascension, on the way up to the Lord, remember I said the, the, the stronger relationship you want to have with the Lord, the steeper your hill is going to be. And it's okay that your hill is not steep, but you're going to carry at least your own cross. Now, you may be assigned by God and have to answer to carry not only your cross, but the crosses of others. That's where we get our clergy and everybody in between. Even your relationship with God, even if you're not clergy, if you want this, this special, uh, 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 extraordinary relationship with God, you have to be willing to climb the steeper hill. So who is worthy? No one. But we are have imputed righteousness from the death and burial resurrection of Christ, just like we're adopted into the family. We have his imputed righteousness and we begin the ascent, which is called, excuse me, the sanctification process. We are all in the sanctification process. And I teach everybody we're all equal in the sanctification process, no matter how long we've been in Christ. Meaning that if I'm starting at one point at the foot and let's say you're 10 steps ahead of me, you still haven't made the glory. And what covers your ascent to glory is grace and what covers mine. So everybody's equal when it comes to climbing, even though we might be not at the same maturity level. The goal of your sanctification process is we know is to conform you into the image of Christ, to give you a mind like Christ. Let this mind be in you that's also in Christ Jesus is to mature you into the saints. The Bible says that the fivefold ministry that we call the fivefold ministry has a single purpose is to mature the saint into the full stature and to grow up into Christ Jesus, into this knowledge. So as you are ascending, you're gaining knowledge. As you're ascending, you're gaining understanding. As you're ascending, as you're going up, you're gaining the capability to commune with God in a way that you couldn't before you started your journey. Now that's individual. That's idiosyncratic. That means it, that's, a, that's your relationship with God. We corporately go up as his body, but we each individually on our own ascent. Same path on, on ascent. I'm going to say that again. Same path, but different levels of heal as far as steepness, depending upon the relationship that we desire to have. You want to have that, like I say, special relationship with God. Unlike no other, you're going to have a harder hill to climb because it's going to require much of you. He paved the way. But if you want that Peter, Paul, John type of relationship, you're going to have to be willing to suffer like they suffered. So the, the question always becomes how much you're willing to suffer to have a relationship with God that he suffered to have a relationship with you. He suffered to have a relationship with you. You have imputed righteousness. Everything that you have in Christ Jesus came from him. Even the Holy Spirit was sent back by him for you. And now you have this relationship. Okay, now you have your list. So who shall ascend? The saints shall ascend. You shall ascend. Everybody on this phone that believes in Jesus, you are on the trail up to the, to the top. You're on the trail. And it says, the Lord who shall uh, stand in his holy place. Well, we got the answer to that already. Who shall stand in his holy place? You shall stand as the saints. Those who, who died from the Old Testament and those who are part of the body in the New Testament. The Israelites who believed 
and hope for the day of Jesus and us who have or the church and his body. Now, during the ascent, there is going to be there's going to be trouble. There's going to be challenges. There are going to be tests. But if you stay faithful to the mission of ascending in prayer, like we talked about in petition, we saw that God in Ezekiel, God will give you a heart after his heart. We saw that God will give you a heart of flesh. He will remove the rebellious heart and you will begin to climb and you and you will put on the full armor of God. And as you walk, your feet are going to be shod with the gospel and the gospel prepares, propel, propels you upward. OK, now, as you get stronger, you can reach back and help other people. But you got to make sure your footing is sure. The Bible talks about in one of the Psalms that he's going to give us a path that we can walk on. Make sure you're on the path before you try to pull somebody else on the path. Because a lot of times with saints, uh, we have a zeal, but not a calling to knowledge. And I and and again, you're at the point when you just get started, you could tell your testimony. But as time goes on, you should have more testimonies about the goodness of God. And you should be able to explain salvation and the gospel. Because we know in Romans, it talks about the gospel being the power of God unto salvation. And we're going to get into that part later. Okay. And then it gives the qualifications. The person whose who's hand, hands are clean. Okay. Who has clean hands. So a clean hand person is simply a person who's saved. A person who's been washed by the blood. Your hands are clean. Now, are they actual clean? Of course not. Hands are neutral. Hands only do what the mind and the heart tells them. So now not only, so really you have to have the pure heart, the renewed mind to have the clean hands. Hands are neutral. Hand doesn't do anything. The heart and the mind doesn't tell it to do. But by our hands, we distribute grace and mercy and do good things. Or we do bad things. God talks about his arms, his hands, his hands, his right hand, his left hand. One has his power. One is authority. His arms are outstretched and it gives us what we need. When God outstretches his arms in his steadfast love, he, he dispenses love and grace. When he stretches out his hand and his arms and needs to chastise and give us justice, that is what we see. That's a picture. God is a spirit. So he's trying. And, and when we describe God uh, in uh, human terms, I'm going to let you come back online for a minute to get another bonus. This is going to be a 30 point bonus and everybody can participate in this one. What is the word that describes when God gives human characteristics to his attributes and who he is? What is that called? What's that word I'm looking for? Anthropomorphism. Hold, hold on. Hold on. Oh, I should have I should have kept uh, Sister Stacy out of it. I don't think y'all heard it. So Stacy, don't say nothing. Who, who else? Who else knows? Who, who who holds the word? Because I didn't think y'all caught it. Okay. When we say God has hands, God has eyes, God has arms. He's a spirit. He doesn't have that actually. Okay. He, he has it in Jesus. But I'm talking about when we say God has these things, there's a certain word that describes God having human attributes. Day class, you know, well, or both classes, y'all y'all should know this. What what was that word? That's thirty points. Anthropomorphism. I hope I said it right. You did. You who said that? You. Well, I shouldn't know. Okay. Yes, anthropomorphism. Yes. <laughs> yes, anthropomor anthropomorphism. Yeah, anthropomorphic, meaning that they have human attributes. Nancy, don't say nothing. 
Sister Stacy, don't say nothing. Sister Venus, if you're on the line, don't you say nothing either. Okay, I'm gonna get. We're gonna scrap, scrap that thirty because Nancy came in. I'm gonna, give, I'm gonna give you another thirty point one. I'm gonna give you fifty. This is fifty points, and this is worth a book. Whoever get this right, I got. I, I got some whole bunch of books that came that we supposed to get together. Give you. I'm gonna send it to you, and you have the book before everybody else. If the if, when we describe God as a lion, a lamb, an animal, what word is that used? What word is that? That's fifty points. When I when we describe God in animal terms, the lamb, the lion, the eagle, what 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 is that called? If is it ma- strong, str- huh? Strong strength. No. No. And next. Okay, I'm gonna give you a hint. If if anthropomorphism, meaning anthro meaning man, describes God when he has human attributes, what do you think the word is when it describes animal attributes? Just think about animals, cages, place you go to visit. Now, I can give you more hints than that. What is one of the okay? If if, if everybody here is from St. is in St. Louis, what is the most one of the most famous places we have in St. Louis to visit as a tourist? Zoo. Zoo. Mm-hmm. zoo. Okay. So. so the animal, the animal okay. Calm, calm down. It's called zoo zoopomorphism. Zoopomorphism. Yes, you have. You just yes, you have because I I did anthropomorphism and zoopomorphism. We talked about. God having animal attributes. I've said it. I don't know. Nancy, have I said it before? Nancy? Nancy just zoned out on us. Yes, Pastor. I have said before. Okay. I don't know. I've said zoomorphism before. So anthropomorphism is human attributes. Zoopomorphism is Animal attributes. Now let's go back to the lesson. So, in verse four, he says, "Who, who? You, uh, put your phones on mute. Who shall the person who has the clean hands, the person who has the heart? These are imputed, imputed things that we have. We don't have clean hands of our own because we know that we are born in sin and shaped in iniquity. So we have to be changed. Our heart has to be changed. Our mind has to be renewed. And that only happens at salvation. That only happens at the foot of the cross. So at the foot of the cross, before we begin the journey up." These things have to be done. Now, through the challenges of the ascension, you will get a chance to use your hands. You'll get a chance to operate and exercise your clean mind and your changed heart. That's the only way your faith is tested. When your faith is tested, you're actually your heart, your mind, and your actions are being tested. Now, remember, the heart and mind are synonymous in Scripture. You can't have the mind without the heart and the heart without the mind. So they work together. Okay? So you can't you can't separate the two. And the hands respectfully do what they come to agree to do. Okay? So when you're, as your spirit, your flesh spirit is in battle with the Holy Spirit inside of you, and as you become more sin conscious, and the volume of sin in your life is turned down, and the holiness is turned up, your, your motives, which come out of your heart, the heart, 
Out of a good heart, thing brings forth good things. Out of evil heart, brings evil things. You will know what's tree by its fruit. So when you see a person who is producing bad fruit, it's out of their bad heart. Okay? It's out of their bad heart. And at that time, we need to evaluate as saints. And, and a good-hearted saint can receive correction, instruction, and the word will do it. Through people, through the scriptures, the word will correct you. God wants to have a personal relationship with you that you don't necessarily need much correction by people because you're so in tune to him and you want to know more about him that you let his word correct you because that's one of the things the word is for. It's for correction. Correction to whom? The saints who are on this journey. So when you begin to slip to the left or the right, instead of looking up into the marvelous light, the word corrects you, puts you on the right path because you got the gospel on your feet, which is the true power. Okay. So then we move on to verse five. He, he will, and these people who are going up <coughs> will receive a blessing. Okay. One of the, one of the blessings that we're promised uh, from God that we will receive, that we will receive. That means once we get there, this is a five pointer. What is one of the things that God promised us that we're going to receive once we get the glory? Anybody? Come back on and tell me. What? Anybody? It could be several answers. Five. Uh, uh, okay, that's five points. Okay, that's Sister Joyce. Okay, what else? There's a couple things. Crown. Yes, a crown. All right, what else? Anything else we're going to receive when we get up to, when we finally get to our destination? Mansion. A mansion. Okay, a dwelling place. All right. Anything else? Okay, let me ask you this. Oh, a new body. A new body. Uh, uh, Joyce already said that. Okay. Joyce already said that. Who? What else? A, re a renewed mind. Okay, I'll accept that. A renewed mind, but that's that's something that's ongoing as we go up. When we finally get there, we what is the okay? And what will we? What is ultimately when we get there? What is the ultimate prize? To be with God. To be with God. Amen. There you go. To be with God, because the Bible tells us. Because it's going to be so great to be with God, what are we going to do with our crown? With crown, Cast him at his feet. Cast him at his feet. So God's going to give you a crown, and it's going to be so good to truly see him like he is, that you're going to take your crown off and give it to it and throw it at the feet and start worshiping him. That's how awesome it's going to be. You have to visualize that in your mind, that you finally get this crown that you've been racing towards, finishing your course, as Paul was talking about, being poured out like a drink offering, being used, being abused, suffering. You finally get there because you have endured. And God gives you a crown. And you trade in your crown to worship him. I mean, I'm not trying to get there too soon, but I just think that's going to be glorious. Because see, when I think about the material stuff on this world that we, what we attain... You ain't gonna give up nothing to do nothing else. You know what I'm saying? You're not gonna. There's very few things that you say. I'll trade this in to do something else, unless you truly see the value in it being better. Like you might trade in your Ford for a Lamborghini. You see the value. You know. You might trade in your small house for a bigger house, one job for another job. But Christ is saying, I'm gonna give you a crown that I fashioned for you, and you're gonna be have so happy to be with me. You're gonna trade it in just to be with me. 
So that's how awesome it's going to be when we go up, go up for glory. And we're going to receive this words. And it says, such is the what? Such is the uh, generation of those who seek him. So now these, this, this, what we talk about, this ascension are, is only available to those who diligently seek him. And we learned in the Sunday that those who diligently seek him, the, God says, you will find me. So when a person says, well, I can't find God, they might be looking in the wrong place and they might not be diligently seeking him. They might be casually seeking him because what we've done in the world today, diligent study of the word of God has traded place with this haphazard bouncing back and forth all over the place. It's called isogeting the text, meaning that you read into the text what you want to see versus letting the text come alive like we're doing line by line and verse by verse to tell us what it means. Like I was saying, Sunday, it's more important that you get what God is trying to tell you versus you trying to trying to throw into the scripture what you want to believe. Because you could twist the scripture and make it say anything. But you need to get the intent of the author, which is God, his original intent when he gave this to David. And again, we started off, this is about God being with us, what we're going to experience. So this is about the ascension. I don't have to create it. It's right in the text. Okay, now at verse seven, now we're starting the new stuff. It says, lift your eyes up, lift your heads up, O gates, and be lifted up. And it's talking about the ancient doors. Now, the scholars debate on this one. When we talk about lift your eyes up, the gates, when we think of gates, the first thing that comes to my mind is the gate of hell. Because we talk about the church, the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Some say it means that. Other says it just means the temple, the gates of the temple. That when when the true God comes back into his temple, like in Ezekiel, that they that they need to lift their eyes up and notice and respect and reverence the Lord that's coming to the gate of his church, coming through the gate of his temple. You know, we need to recognize who that belongs to by recognizing everything the earth belongs to him and the fullness thereof and all the inhabitants. So when we go to church, I don't care what your church is named. But the church belongs to God. That's not your church. That's not your church building. That's not your church pews. You can have it named after the most famous pastor you want. It belongs to God. And when we think it belongs to us and doesn't belong to God, that's when we get into the infighting. That's when we get into the to the to the clicks. That's when we get into it belongs to me. Does it belong to you? It belongs to God and God will use what he uses his, his church the way he wants to use it and the buildings on his on his land. We need to be not so possessive and clickish with our churches because God is not pleased with that. We got all these different little clicks, clicks and denominations and, and, and these religious practices that God is not pleased with. We don't want to get to the point church where the, where the Israelites got where God said, you know what? All of your offerings, all of your incense burning, all the things you do religiously, I don't even want it no more. Because it's tainted. And what we taint church with is religion and churchanity. Tradition has its place, and every church is autonomous in that way. But we all should respect each other's tradition, but respect the word and the teachings that come out of the church. If they're true. And the only way for the saints to understand if the words are true that comes out of the church is to be diligent students of the word of God. You can't allow that person who calls himself your pastor get to the point. Whereas you don't question 
or don't feel comfortable in questioning what is being taught. Right now, you don't have to worry about a false prophet. A false prophet can be proven real fast, like they all are. The information age, somebody make a prediction, it don't come true, they're a false prophet. Like all the false prophets that predicted coronavirus was going to be over with on Easter Sunday and Good Friday and all that. They're false prophets. But we're in an age where people dismiss it and say, oh, they just missed one. But the Bible says if you miss one and you're, pro and you're a prophet, you're a false prophet. The issue with the church is bad teaching. Not false prophecy, because we catch that. It's bad teaching. Teaching that takes you away from God. Teaching that makes you selfish. Teaching that doesn't give God his glory. One thing I want you to understand, saints, as long as you put God up top above you, you'll never get the understanding of God's words wrong. It's when you think you, David. It's when you think you, Solomon. When you think you, when you start making it about you and you think it's you, you are not David. You are not Esther. You're not none of these people. You are you. You are uniquely and wonderfully made. Find out what God did for them and gain the principles to learn from them. But don't pretend that you're them. That's one of the things that we do. We, we take on these characters and the Bible doesn't doesn't necessarily do that. We're supposed to learn and glean from these characters and what they went through so we can govern our lives accordingly. Some of you have had better lives than David ever will have. And your story, if you could write it down and tell, would glorify God. So when you place God above the characters of the Bible, you'll always do good. You'll always understand proper positioning. But it's when you start thinking the character is more important than God who created the character. He created them just like he created you. You, you are no less important to God than David was. Because every soul is important to God, especially of his children. Okay? Especially of his children. So then we got verse 8. Who is this king of glory? Who is this king of glory? Well, in David's time, he was waiting for Jesus to come. We know that the king of glory is Jesus. We know that the king of glory is Emmanuel. God with us. God saves us. God, Jesus came to save sinners. This is his king of glory. He veiled his kingship when he came in the form of the body in Jesus Christ. He veiled some of his power, his authority. He thought it not robbery to, to, to diminish, to condescend, but he was still the king. He even told them, he said, if I was the king of this world at the time, he said, my angels would, would come down and fight for me. But no, it hasn't happened yet. So now who is this king of glory? We, we spend our time exploring who this king is. Now, the kingdom age has not come yet. I'm going to say it again. The kingdom age has not come yet. Okay. Because in the prayer that Jesus told him to pray, he said, let your will be done as on earth as in heaven. Meaning that in heaven, we hope that at one time, at some time for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we know now there's a battle going on where he's going to win because he's going to come back and triumph. Okay. He's going to come back and triumph. So who is this king? We know it to be Jesus Christ. And, he, and it talks about uh, the Lord who is mighty. The Lord is mighty in battle. Now, who is the Lord mighty in battle? Well, he's the Lord who brought down the wall of Jericho. He's the Lord who opened the Red Sea. He's the Lord who parted the Jordan. He's the Lord who, who, who brought the plagues down on Pharaoh. Every battle. And remember, we talk about an uphill battle. But this is what you have to understand. 
that battle, that journey that you're on, every battle that you face, every step that you take towards your ascension, towards your glory, God is with you. See, we back to Emmanuel. God is with you. Now, we know that as we go up the hill with God, sometimes it feels as if the battle is not his. We're losing. But you are never losing when you take your journey with God, even though it may seem that way. God is kind of funny and it's kind of humorous to me at times where just when you think it's over, it's like one of the more Rocky movies. Just when you think Rocky's knocked out, all of a sudden as the as the evil person walks away, they got that shot where he's on the ground and the person standing there with their arms raised, looking off into the crowd, Rocky stands up. And that's what and that's what God does for us. It's like, again, the Bible tells us he is strongest when we are weak. So sometimes, saints, you got to get down so God can pick you up. You got to experience some defeat so you can hold. On, you got to lose some battles to win the war. So who is this God? This God said, I would never leave you nor forsake you. This God said, if you do what I say, he told Joshua, this is how I want you to do this. If you do this, you'll be victorious. And then what happens? Just like when we read in Joshua, you get comfortable. Little bitty city, little bitty, little bitty, little bitty uh, obstacle in your way. They ain't nothing. Lord, we got this. You go to fight them. But the problem is you didn't take the Lord with you. And then you lose. And you wonder why you lost. It's because God is saying, don't only take me in the big battles, but take me in the small ones. And I think I think saints, that's what we lack. We don't take God into the small areas of our life. We spend too much time trying to fast fit them into the big problems where God said, I want to be part of your everyday life. Please mute your phones. I want to be part of your every somebody's phone not muted because I'm getting feedback. So it's one of those situations where we need to understand that God wants to be in every part of our life. As we climb the hill, as we go on to glory, we need to let God be a part of every part of our life. Like, like, uh, like Sister Powell said, I thank him when I just wake up in the middle of the night. Yeah, he wants to be part of that too. That, that, they may, that might sound simple to you, but that's awesome to God that you would think of him at a time when you just woke up. You're going back to sleep. She may even thank him when she wake up and free fall before she right fall back to sleep. I've, I have talked to God so much when I can't sleep. Now, I used to be talking to myself, but now I just sit there and talk to God. And it's a beautiful thing because I'm letting God in on every part of my life as much as I can. And it's a, and it's a practice. And see, during your ascension, you should de develop in patterns of practice and prayer and praise and worship to God. Not when people see you. But it's when you're alone with God by yourself. And then what happens when you develop these practices on your ascension up the hill, that God is with you and God is going to fight your battles and God is going to be in it to win it. Then what you develop is other people. While you doing stuff in private? Guess what? Your character will begin to change into God's character and people that you least expect will come up to you and say, even Jackie say she experienced it. She say, you, you know, you so godly, you so Christian like. You're so nice. You know, these kind of things. You, and you're wondering, but I'm the same. I don't see it. 
You may not see it, but they see it because the Bible tells us, let your light shine that others can see. It is that you had to notice it. You don't need to notice it. Somebody else will. And a lot of people who are heathens will notice it. And a lot of people, the brothers and sisters in Christ will notice it. The heathen will notice it and ask, what can I do to be saved? The, the, the saint in Christ, it may encourage them. I like, I like when all of y'all talk and give your encouraging words because basically you're feeding off each other's light. And when one goes into darkness and walk in truth, we're willing to practice Galatians 6 and 1 and bring a brother or sister back into the light. There is no amount of sin that we can't recover from. Now, that doesn't mean there's not consequences to our sin or disconnections that it may need to be taken by the church to point it out and deal with it. But our goal in doing any disciplinary action in the church is for that person to be restored eventually. Now, depending on what is done will depend on the level of responsibility in the church, but it's to restore that one into right fellowship with the church. We never look forward to kicking anybody out. We never look forward to removing somebody. We always look forward to repenting and asking them to repent and come on back and look for the love that we want to give them. A lot of times, saints, we're on this hill, we're on this journey. And for those who believe that they so far up in the journey, they forget that they need to look back and help somebody. Because that battle that person's fighting that's downhill from you may need you to pull them up and pull them through. A lot of times God is mighty in battle because we work together. As we see with the walls of Jerusalem falling down, walls of Jericho falling down. If, if they didn't work together, it wouldn't have happened. That's why God say, you do this, you do that, you do this. And, and Joshua said, don't do anything else until I tell you. So they were learning that if they work together as saints of God, it's possible. It is possible. And when, as the church, when we work together, because it talks about the body of Christ needing each other as we all are ascending up this hill to glory through imputed righteousness, that we will all get there, but we will all get there together. So we can't afford to throw anybody away. So who is this Lord Almighty? It's Jesus. And it tells us to lift up our lift up your heads, O gates. So now, again, that's why we say this is not really about hell, because this is about a triumphant God coming into his city, just like when he came into Jerusalem. He was triumphant. And you can look at Matthew 21, 1 through 11 at that. Mark 11, 1 through 11. Uh, John 12, 12 through 19. And Luke gives the better description of, of the triumphant entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem at uh, Luke 19, uh, 28 through 44, where he's coming into his city and they're laying their, the palms at his feet. They're they're worshiping they're they're worshiping the the triumphant king. So who is this God? He's mighty in battle, and he's going to triumph. He's going to win. Then it says, "Who is this King of Glory? The Lord of Hosts. He is the King of Glory." So now again, think of the picture. We have Jesus coming in to conquer sin and death, which he does at the cross and defeat Satan. But he's going to come back with his army to conquer the world and retake his world and bring back Jerusalem. See, so we got he conquered sin and death for those who would believe. And now we are waiting for him to come back and do the same thing. Because you got to remember, he's not coming back as a lamb. He's coming back as a lion. He's coming back as a warrior. He's coming back as a warrior king to reclaim his earth, to reclaim and all the armies on the earth 
whether you believe it or not, they are all subject to him. Jesus is in control and everybody on this earth is subject to him and everybody on the earth. He can use it any given time. They don't even know that. And the funny thing about evil people, they don't even know they're being used by God. But God uses them too because he used Nebuchadnezzar. So even the person that's your enemy can be used by God for his glory. He said, I even rose up Pharaoh for my glory. So, so in other words, he allows these despots to come into the world to do, to govern, to punish, to be the rod of correction for his people because he loves them and he doesn't want to pour his wrath of annihilation out on them that they deserve. He gives them mercy by sending someone to them they don't like, they don't respect, and they don't love. And it's a reflection of the fact that they have turned their back on God. Now, depending on what political party you, you are with, you can say that has happened with every president we didn't had. Somebody don't like them. But we understand that there's no ruler that God doesn't appoint. It has nothing to do whether we like it or not. He allows them to rise. He said he, he puts every king into place. So every ruler into place. And he tells us to be subject to the, 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 the civil authorities because they are representatives of him. Has nothing to do with we like or not. Okay. And the quicker you can get around this. And what is the overall thing? This is God's program. This is God's world. And we are blessed because we are his children. And we are on our way to see our father and our king. And for those who get to go on to glory before he returns. Then that's a great thing. They've made it. For those of us who are still on the, on the climb. We are comforted by the word of God. That the scripture tells us that through the hope of the scriptures. That we can endure this thing. And those who endure to the end belong to God. There are those <coughs> who are on the ascension. And it's a church ascension. It's a religious ascension. And God has an answer for them. He said, he said, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. And that's a scary thing because the, the person who was on the same journey with you that you think is so holy and so righteous and so religious could actually be a tear amongst the wheat that you can't tell the difference. That's why the Bible tells us, don't worry about the tares and the wheat because he got them reapers who know how to know the difference. You, we don't because they look the same because we've made it so easy to be a church person because we have our own language. We have our own ways. We have our own dress and we have our own fallacies and our own uh, uh, what I call vanities. But this passage is about recognizing who God is, his power over the earth, his power over the people and those who diligently seek him and follow him will be blessed with that crown of glory and that 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 renewed by that new body and it's a journey it's uphill and the more you want to know God the less you're going to get away with and the better your relationship's going to be what kind of journey do you really want to have with God and that's your decision you got to decide that you have to decide whether you want the steep steep hill or you want the hill that's not so steep you still going to make it but I do understand as, as I walk through this everybody doesn't want the steep hill because it comes with a great sacrifice Everybody doesn't want that hill of deep incline because it's going to be a struggle. It's not going to be easy. And there's going to be times that you fall back. But again, you stay on the path. You will be successful. And success in God is just simply making it to glory. You might get in ugly, torn up, whipped up, beat up, but you're going to make it to glory. Everybody in the Bible seems like 
that I see as a hero in God, they made the glory kind of rough. And the Bible hasn't changed. I will show you how much you will suffer for my sake. Again, Paul wanted that because he thought he was doing it when he was a Pharisee. But when, when he ran into the true and living God, the God who he thought he was serving, he told, he asked him, why are you abusing my church? And then Paul was changed and God had to show him how much he would suffer and say, even Peter with his arrogant self thought he was doing something when he made the proclamation about God. No, you're not going to go to the cross. And if you go, I'll go. And Jesus said, man, before it's all over, you're going to reject me. And then Peter had to repent for that. And God forgave him. So we become to this. Repentance is the way to stay on that path when you begin to slip. As, and when you notice you slip, you can slip, you can repent to God and return to the path. Because remember, your God is the God who's mighty in battle. And when you slip, it's just a battle. That's all it is. Don't underplay it, but don't overplay it. You can repent and be right back on the path. Now, again, there's consequences to your actions. God doesn't take them away. But sometimes God let the weeds grow up and not grow so high because you repented. He let the roses come forth, but sometimes he go put a little weed kill on it and it just don't grow as high. And maybe he'll come by and mow it down so it won't have an effect on your life because you repented. But there are some natural consequences to your decisions. I am still living out natural consequences, the decisions I make and I'm on this journey. And I understand that. But guess what? The glory of God is such a great thing that is just like the Bible said, whatever afflictions I may go through through some bad decisions I made in my past is nothing compared to the glory that God has for me that's before me and that I'm going through now. It has been a great journey and I'm loving every minute of it. And one of the secrets to, to, to my journey now, I don't know about yours, is I all, as much as I have learned about God, I always come to God like a child and say, I need a little bit more, daddy. I need a little bit more, Lord. I, I, need, a little, I need a little bit more of you. I don't... I don't know if I got that right. Can you give me something else? And like I always teach, when you get light, you pour out light, God will give you more light. When you get light, you pour it out and you and God will give you more light. You can't hold it in to yourself because if you hold it to yourself, it might not, it, it, you haven't understood what the light is for. The light is, is to edify you, but it's always to forgive, be given to someone else. So with that, that is the end of psalm 24 so everybody come back on the line and we can discuss it for a few seconds so a few minutes so does any anybody else get anything out of psalm 24 anybody else get anything out of psalm 24 i can't somebody said something i can't hear you Anybody, give everybody a chance to talk if you want to talk or any comment about Psalm 24 or any certain verse that sticks out to you. Uh, but Sister Jackie, I, uh, the one that I, I liked was um, the one about opening up the, the gate because mm -hmm. down in the little commentary, uh, what it says was that... Um, it says, these are bold personifications indicating that the city gates needed to stretch themselves to make way for the awesome entrance of the great king. Mm -hmm. By doing so, they participated 
and worshiping him. So what up at the up at the, the seven and eight when they were talking about lift up your gates, what I what I got out of it was that David is saying, you know, lift up your gates because the because Jesus is coming. Even okay. even your gates are going to be worshiping him by just lifting them up. They're doing their part to worship Jesus too. Well, when you said in the when you said when you said at the, at the bottom of the commentary, it talks about open stretch. See, this is the thing. Think about church and its doors. Most churches are closed systems. If you don't look like them, you don't talk like them. They don't really want you in there, do they? Okay. But Jesus wants everybody to come in who wants to come in, right? Right, right. Every all it's like this. Jesus walks in now. Now think about this. Jesus walks in before every saint walks in that door. And Jesus is before every saint to be when they come through that door. And as saints that's already inside, we should be ready for anybody that wants to get saved. Uh -huh. Because the king, the king is the, the king is walking before, before them and saying, they may not look like you, but they, 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 they part of the family. You know, think about church. Church has become this thing where we it, it becomes a place of snobbery. I mean, we don't do that. We don't do that. But, you know, how many of us have walked into church and felt unwelcomed? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. You in the house of God and you feel unwelcomed. Uh -huh. You go to sit down there. They tell you, no, you can't sit there. <laughs> That's so-and-so seat. Or if you happen to get to sit there. That person who's seated in, sitting behind you, breathing heat down your neck for the whole service. <laughs> and it's sad that it's like that, but I've experienced it. And see, this is the thing. Some, somebody wants to come sit up front because they may have a hearing impediment or they might have a visual impairment and they want to be close to the word of God. And then somebody comes and you can't sit here. The, and the bench is empty. And the bench is empty for the whole service. Well, that's, you know, when we call uh -huh. altar call, that's what people going to sit. Well, you ain't calling altar call right now. Can I sit here? Uh -huh. All that, all them gymnastics we do in church that does, that, that make people feel unwelcomed. And again, I want to say we don't do that in our church, but I've been there. So are the gates closed? Yes. Jesus walked in and we closed the gate behind Jesus. Say, no, Jesus, we don't like them. We want you. And Jesus is saying, uh -huh. Jesus is saying, you can't have me without them. You can't have them. You can't have me without them. And we will ceremoniously say, well, that's all right. This is my church. Jesus, we don't. Jesus, the real Jesus is really not wanted in most churches. For real. Oh. The real oh. Jesus. The Jesus that, that dealt with sinners. The Jesus that dealt with publicans. The Jesus that dealt with, with prostitutes. The Jesus that dealt with, with the people that society rejected. Oh no, we want the, the, the good looking, we want yeah. the sharp, we want the nice cars. Uh -huh. That's what we want uh -huh. in our church. Uh -huh. And because we have this look on the outside, guess what's on the inside? Rich and famous people that got it going on. And Jesus is going to say, I don't know them. I don't know them. Sure. I don't know them. Because sure. they haven't opened their gates up to the people that I want to come in. Uh-huh. One of the reasons Jesus said the, the poor you're going to have with you always, that is our opportunities for our hands to do good. Uh 
That's why James 1, 26 and 1, 27 exists. That's why we do that. If, if, if you want to practice a religion that's undefiled before God, it is this, that you go visit the widows and the orphans and their afflictions and stay unstained from the world. The staying unstained from the world is the part in the scripture where it says that we will have clean hands and a pure heart. So that clean hands and a pure heart practice the religion of taking care of those who can't take care of themselves. That's a far cry from what churches is a lot of nowadays. Huh. See, so yeah, Jackie, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, it's, it's a triumph for Jesus, but you got to remember the people that's coming with Jesus aren't, aren't always, now, there's nothing wrong with being affluent. There's nothing wrong, but if you have influence, affluence and influence, you have a responsibility to right. share. You know, it ain't all about you. Don't be like the man who built the bigger barns because he had a good crop. Lord said, I'm going to need, I'm going to require your life. And you can't take it with you. And God's not going to be impressed by what you, how much influence you have unless your influence brought people to Christ. That's right. Okay. Anybody else got anything they noticed in this passage? Anybody else? Well, I'm, uh, this is Nancy, um, when you spoke on it, um, you spoke on it Sunday, and then just in your comment about having the clean hands and your heart, the commentary, I'm, I'm reading my commentary too, which I appreciate, but it doesn't talk about sinless perfection, right. but the basic intensity of inward motivation and outward manner. Mm-hmm. We have to grow, like we get saved immediately, and then as we continue to grow, our motive uh, you know, become pure because they become more in alignment with God. The more we study God's word, the more we are in more in tune and aligned with Him. Our motives become pure uh, for that intention, and then it'll match our outward action. In our hands, we'll be able to. In our in our hands, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I can appreciate that because we continue to grow and we continue to love on each other, practicing games. You know, doing all those things following the commands and really being able to demonstrate and show the love of Christ, you know, to other people. People can see the light in us. Yeah. And when we take on the yoke of Christ and as we mature, that burden of what the what the Bible requires of us becomes lighter. At first it's heavy. Yeah. Yeah, first that bur- that that burden of, 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 of dealing with our sin is heavy. But when we, but when we, exp- saints, all I can tell you, I don't know how many of you on this phone have, have y'all ever experienced the steadfast love of God? Y- y'all come on and say something about that. Have, have any of y'all, has some of you yet to experience the steadfast love of God? Let me ask you that, last that way. That you really don't think you've experienced it yet. So, well, from what I have experienced, what I what I think is it just brings tears to my eyes because it's like oh my god I cannot believe that he would do that much for me just as I continue to reflect on his word as I continue to mature I realize and you know that he has been watching over me the entire time I don't see that yet until as I continue to grow in God's word and I realize that that think back over your life like it really makes more as you continue to mature, so you can see it more. Right. 
Now, Nancy, as you mature and see it more, it becomes easier to trust him, doesn't it? Easier to trust him. It's easier to trust him because he performed in your life before you came. And now that you're here and you can see now, he, he removed the blindness from your eyes. And now you say, wow, God, you've always been there. Right. <laughs> you've always been there. You have. Yeah, yeah, he's always been there. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the saints are on the phone. Look. That's where we're trying to get you to understand. I, I don't want, it's real simple and as complicated as most people try to make it. If you can appreciate God's steadfast love, you've done more than most. Because what you appreciate, you will learn to worship. What you appreciate, you will learn to reverence. What you appreciate, you will follow. And that happened, and uh, okay, saints, and this is what I'm saying. It's a big elephant. It don't it don't happen overnight. It's a it's a slow growth. That's why I tell saints and walk in truth. A little bit at a time. A little bit at a time. Don't try to bite off. Don't don't look at where you think I am or anybody else around you is in Christ, because you are right where God wants you to be. Trust me. That's why grace is there. You are right where God wants you to be. You couldn't be anyplace else. So when you look at somebody and be like, oh, I want to be, I would like to be like them. Or I, I, I look at them and look up to them. There's nothing wrong with looking up to them to a certain degree. But God has a level that he wants to take you that is beyond what you think they at. That's why I say this is so personal, your relationship with God. That you don't need to look at me and want to be like me. You want to be like Jesus. Our whole goal, every saint wants to be like Jesus. You don't be like Paul. That's why I told you, you don't want to identify with all them other dead saints. You want to identify with the living God. Yeah, be like Jesus. Yeah, you want to be like Jesus. Yeah, we can learn from Paul. We can learn from Esther. We can learn from Naomi. We can learn from these, these, these heroes. But if you think about it, it's, it's kind of interesting to me, you know, with women, especially in the in the Hall of Fame, what we call the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews. Isn't it interesting that a lot of the Ruth is not mentioned. Some other ones that we read about is not mentioned. And the one who's really the forerunner, the one who is mentioned more than anything is Rahab the harlot. Rahab the harlot. She's in the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrew. Uh -huh. I've never heard a woman say, I want to be like Rahab the harlot. Think, just think about that. Because what you, what you associate is, and think about this is what we do to people. You associate with her harlotin and God associate with her obedience. God, think about what Nancy said. God associates her to what her heart and her mind called her hands and her mouth to do. Uh -huh. But you want to be like Ruth. You want to be like Naomi. You want to be like Queen Esther. But who who is Rahab the harlot? Who's, whose grandmother is Rahab the harlot? Whose grandmother or mother is Rahab the harlot? 
That, I guess that's a that's a 20-pointer. Boaz. 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 Now, is, now isn't that Boaz. interesting? The woman who you won't claim is the is the grandma or the grandma or the mother of the man who you want to claim. That's why God looks on the inwardly and not the outwardly. God doesn't look at what who Rahab was. God looked at what Rahab became, was a true worshiper. And for you, and that's what I'm saying. God doesn't look at what you used to be. God looks at you as what you're becoming. So you need to identify with who you are in Christ Jesus, not them. You learn from them, but you're not them. You are you. You are Nancy in Christ Jesus. You are Sister Joyce in Christ Jesus. You are Sister Jackie in Christ Jesus. You are are, are, are Deacon Marvin in Christ Jesus and so on and so forth. You are Arsenio in Christ Jesus. You are Frida in Christ Jesus. And I'm James in Christ Jesus. Not Pastor James. I'm James in Christ Jesus. And your life is hidden in him. This was good. This was good. So, do we have anybody else that would like to say anything? <coughs> yes, I would like to come in on Psalms 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord, and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. Let us know that everything belongs to the Lord, and nothing belongs to us. Amen, Ma. Yes, yes, ma'am. Everything. <laughs> The chair, everything belongs to him. He the, owns everything. The chair you sit in is on his land. Yes, it is. And the chair you sit in belongs to him. And the Bible yes, you read belongs to him. Yes. And through us having a right understanding of who this belongs to, then we can get away from being so selfish with these things that belong to somebody else because they belong to the Lord. Yes. Yes. That's yes, right. You can't yes. take them with you. And, and all of and all of us had mothers and, and fathers and grandparents who said along. I never seen a hearse follow. I never seen a a, a, a Brinks truck follow a hearse. Oh, behind hearse. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's you, true. You can't take it with you. You know. No, nope. we bring it in, so we can't take it with us. Yeah. Naked, you come into the world, and and other than your your yeah. suit, naked, you gonna leave. That's it. So, so we have to have the right perspective about stuff in this world. There's nothing wrong with it, but it, your stuff does not give any indication how blessed you are by the Lord. Because mm -hmm. the devil could give you some stuff. All right, show you right. <laughs> the devil could give you some stuff. That was a good observation, yes, Ma. Yes. Anybody else? Before we be done with Bible study today. Anybody else? Praise God. Okay, does anybody else have any more names I need to put on the prayer list before we get off? Any other names that you can think of? Hello, this is Pastor Jay. I'm excited to invite you to come over to listen to our broadcast on YouTube. Yes, Walk in True Christian Fellowship Church on YouTube. We have some great videos over there and you'll be able to listen to all the lessons and the podcast. So again, subscribe, like, and continue to comment and listen. This is Pastor Jay. Talk to you later. Peace. I want to thank you again, saints of God, for coming along with us through the word of God on today. Our journey has been short and brief, but we look forward to continuing on with you in God's vineyard. If this message has been a blessing to you, 
and you would like to contact us, please do so by emailing me at WITMIN at yahoo.com or SUTTON968 at gmail.com. We always want you to be encouraged and be blessed and be at peace. And always remember, walk in truth. And thank you again for coming along on today's journey.